Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. This week's episode of the show is supported by the Strength Factory and Privateer Bikes. If you've not already listened to yesterday's episode with Privateer Bikes, then you really should. Part of the rider firm family, Privateer was formed after growing frustrated with the idea that progressive design meant premium prices. Deciding a different approach was needed, they sought to combine race-ready geometry with rider-focused features to ensure the frames live up to their namesake and can handle seasons' worth of abuse. Developed with top 20 EWS rider Matt Stuttard and with the Enduro World Series in mind, their 161 race bike features 161mm of rear travel and forward-thinking geometry so that it descends as fast as possible while still reducing fatigue with a low effort climbing position. At only a year old and under Matt's skilled piloting, the 161 has already proven itself capable of top 10 finishes. Learning from this, the more trail-oriented 141 follow closely behind, offering a ride that's more suited to those without the Alps in their back garden, but still wanting something that's capable of the odd local enduro or two. If you're interested to find out more, then check out yesterday's episode and head to privateerbikes.com. In last week's episode, Ben from the Strength Factory dropped a ton of knowledge bombs to help you make the most of the winter to make sure that you're ready to smash the trails when spring and summer rolls around. If you want Ben to look after your training, then you can get on his complete mountain bike program. I've been using Ben's program since the gyms reopened here in the UK and it's made a massive difference to how good I feel on the bike. I'm not only finding I'm faster up every hill with less effort, but I'm also finding I feel way more in control of the bike when things get tasty. And as a result, I'm riding faster. If you've never done any mountain bike specific training, then I highly recommend you give it a go. I think you'll be surprised by the results. If you want to get on Ben's complete MTB program, then as a downtime listener, you can get $20 off the eight-week foundation part of the program up until the 23rd of November. All you need to do is to use the code DOWNTIME at the checkout. That's DOWNTIME, all lowercase, all one word. Uh, Head to the checkout over at thestrengthfactory.uk. That's thestrengthfactory, all one word, and then .uk, not .co.uk. As we're in a period of uncertainty with lockdowns in a number of countries and gym access is not always available, it's worth noting that the foundation program is yours for life. So if you need to pause during any lockdowns, then that's no worries and it's always there for you. Also, if you want to train while the gyms are closed but you don't have any equipment, then Ben has a bodyweight only program on his website that is yours for life for just £16. You can find that at thestrengthfactory.uk forward slash bodyweight MTB or via the links in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com don't forget to make sure you subscribe to the show it's free and it means you'll get every episode as soon as it drops super easy to do with buttons for all the major platforms over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe all right the world cup season is over almost as soon as it started but i've really enjoyed the racing this year so massive thanks to everyone involved in making it happen under very challenging circumstances so this is the final post-race show of the year and elliot and nico are back to chat about what went on We cover all the important stuff like what Loic was doing with his fork, if Greg's going to be racing next year, what impact the weather had and plenty more. As you'll hear towards the end of the episode, Nico's going to be raffling off his race jerseys from the four World Cups along with one of his custom-painted helmets, all to raise money for the Grow Cycling Foundation. As soon as the link is available for this, I'll update the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com and I'll also share it on my social media as will Elliot and Nico. So make sure you're following at downtimepodcast, at Elliot Jackson and at at Nico Malali on Instagram to keep up to date with that. Due to some legal stuff, you can only enter the draw if you're based in the US or Canada. If you're elsewhere in the world, though, you can still donate to help the awesome work that people are doing over at growcyclingfoundation.org. Right, that's it from me. Time to get stuck into the last two World Cups of the season. So without further ado, here's Elliot and Nico. <laughs> 
All right, welcome to the final post-race show of the year. And as ever, I'm joined by Elliot and Nico to chat about the racing. Elliot, we'll start with you. How's things? Yeah, all good. I uh, was just bloody loving Greg winning the first one. And I think that's <laughs> the only time I've ever not wanted Loic to win. Like, <laughs> Fair play. Uh, I was hoping Greg was going to win so bad. But, um, you know, a first and a second's not bad. Yeah, pretty special for sure. And you've been busy with uh, with some of the grow cycling stuff. I saw Giant launch some pretty fetching looking kit yesterday, inspired by uh, your Hawaiian vibes. <laughs> totally. Yeah, we uh, we just launched that. It goes from what I guess yesterday through the 16th. So it's like all the stuff that all the Factory Off Road team guys run. Um, the um, kind of the core stuff so it's uh, the enduro the enduro kit and um and the road kit as well so super cool actually nice. super super yeah cool. really cool where can people get that is it there's links in bios for you guys and all that sort of stuff yeah yeah totally um in my bio and on the gross cycling foundation bio so it's all the net proceeds go to us which is super amazing um cool yeah i really really like that stuff blues my favorite yeah color, so. <laughs> yeah so if anyone's looking to uh to brighten up their riding life at the moment which is no bad thing then that's uh it's definitely worth checking out yeah hell yeah cool and nika how about you you've just got back home yeah 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 i just had like a pretty big day travel um with a lot of flights being limited at this you know with stuff going on right now it's kind of tough to get back from europe and Portugal's kind of remote anyway not a lot of flights coming back to the u.s from lisbon so um yeah after the race i drove to the airport at like midnight for a 5 a.m flight and then traveled all day yesterday to get home so um glad to be back but kind of a couple days blended together for the past few days (laughs) yeah time zones get a bit confusing when that happens right yeah fair play so what um what was it like traveling at the minute like i've not been on a plane all year is it is it super quiet yeah, I'd, I'd say that there's a lot less people in the airports, which is good. There's less lines, things like that. Um, but there's also less flight options. So the flights that there are, um, I guess it's kind of hit or miss which ones are full or not. But it seems like the smaller domestic flights, whether they're domestic U.S. flights or flights inside of Europe, were pretty crowded, actually. Um, but then the bigger ones, like the the flight overseas to get home, was, was pretty empty. So, um, yeah, it's it's fairly easy to get through the airport right now with with a lot less people in there yeah it's a good thing i guess when you had uh, you had a little bit of time between maribor and lusa what what did you get up to yeah so um me me and uh, my teammate seth we went to lausa directly so we uh we just hung out there for a week and got to ride a little bit um the weather was kind of pretty rainy for the first couple of days but then we got to ride some of the other trails there there's a there's a whole lot of riding to do there so it was a cool place to hang out it's it's pretty remote there's not much else going on around there um except for bike riding so um yeah not not too much but after that maribor five days of riding and where we only had like one or two days off after worlds before that so it was like a ton of stuff in a row i wasn't really dying to get on my bike it was kind of good to just have like a week to just chill out and kind of relax for a while get ready for the for the second doubleheader yeah fair play and the last time you were in lusa was the start of the season for fox testing 
did you have a pretty good feeling from that kind of what to expect from the track? Yeah, um, I, I think so. And I think a lot of the riders have been there to, to test, um, like uh, of the top guys anyway, it seems like half the guys are on Fox. So a lot of the guys are at the Fox test or have been there in the past at, at races that they've had there or just winter testing on their own. So I think a lot of riders came into it with, with some expectation of the track. Um, the weather was kind of like an unknown thing. It was being a little bit colder and being later in the year. Um, there was just like some, a lot of fog in the morning that would hang around for a while. So it, it was a lot of humidity on the ground. Um, it didn't rain really at all while, while we were there for the five days of riding. But like, as you could see in that second final, that sort of stuff would happen where, um, it was just really thick fog and it would make the ground slippery. So the first couple runs earlier in the day were, were often pretty slick, which was something to, um, yeah, hard, hard to know how that was going to be and kind of different every, every day without, without actually raining the, the moisture level would change. So that was different. But, um, yeah, other than that, the, the tracks were really cool. They were super fun to ride. They had some good fresher sections with some loamy dirt that I, I always think they should do stuff like that where they just, put the track off to the side of the main line. Like they didn't build a new track. They just built a new little section or taped it so that the track went somewhere with some soft stuff. And it just makes the whole feel of it a lot different. And, um, yeah, it was super cool. And the, the guys that were working on it definitely had a, had a passion for downhill and, and they, they put that into the track. So it was, it was cool. And the riders definitely appreciated it. Nice. Yeah. Elliot, what did you think to the track when you saw sort of track walk stuff and a bit of the racing? Was it the kind of place that gives a bit of FOMO for you? Yeah, I think so. For sure. Like Nico said, the dirt, it's actually dirt. Um, <laughs> there was, there was definitely some roots, especially like that first couple of days. It looked really gnarly. A couple of off camber sections with some diagonally placed roots, um, that looked a bit gnarly, but I think it's cool that there there are those tracks where like carrying speed uh, means a lot, where you are um, really kind of forced. There was there was definitely some pedaling it looked like, but um, you could see the riders who like got around turns and then carried that that speed through like the next section. Um, and there was a lot of like working the bike where you had to pick it up over a stump or like choose. You know, there was lines that were vertical, I guess you would say, like which which bump or something like that. Am I gonna am I gonna pump? Am I gonna like jump from this route or this hump to the next one, or am I gonna roll it? Um, so I thought that that was really cool. I thought it was really really different, um, where there was a a lot of finesse going on. Yeah, definitely. And Nico, it's a track of a few sort of different elements, I guess. There's some steep stuff, some flat stuff, some kind of looser stuff, some new stuff. Is that is that a hard track to set a bike up for? Do you end up kind of compromising? Um, I think, yeah, a little bit. But for the most part, it wasn't too steep. Uh, most of that top section was pretty flat as well. And then obviously the, the last bit was a sprint that was pretty flat too. Um, and it was just kind of like the middle section that, that wasn't even super steep. It was just, uh, tighter and more technical, um, some turns and stuff in there. So, um, 
yeah, I'd say the setup wasn't super hard to get. Most guys are probably running their stuff a little bit stiffer, going for carrying speed, trying to get the bike to sit up a little more, pump better. Um, and then they they could just make it work through the the steeper stuff was was less of the track. So it was, yeah, it was a little bit more straightforward to, to try to set up for, I'd say. Yeah. And a, a really physical track to ride? Um, aside from the, the sprint at the end, it, it wasn't too bad because you could carry a lot of speed. Um, you didn't have to work too hard for it. There was definitely a few sprints here and there, but, um, I, for, for me anyway, I find like a track like Val de Sol or Andorra that are just relentless with compressions and steep and braking to be more physical than a track where you're kind of working to keep momentum going. Um, there's not a lot of hard like you definitely want to pedal in a few key spots but there's not as many hard accelerations or decelerations i think when you change from speed from a high speed to a low speed back to high speed that's what kind of works your body and uh, that plus the compressions and this one you kind of you carried speed and you kind of kept it going so I, i didn't find it for me as as physical um until you got to that sprint and then you just pretty much left it all out there because it was the finish after that so definitely definitely rev the heart right there yeah and you met you know you're managing energy a little bit i guess we're at the end of albeit a short season we're at the end of the season you've got the two back-to-back races it's a lot of riding are you how do you approach something like that sprint are you literally kind of just cruising down at the vast majority of the weekend and just pushing it in qualities and race runs like how do you how do you get a feel for what it's going to be like at full tilt yeah. So for me, I, I definitely, um, I gave it a go in practice, but I stopped before it. So I didn't like come in on a full run and then sprint it in practice. I, I was trying to manage my energy through the weekend. And then, um, I, I obviously went for it in the quality and, and final runs definitely made me a little bit more motivated to push it in the final runs than the quality runs. But, uh, in practice after the first practice, once we were racing every day for four days, I, I would just chill in that section and then sprint it during my race run. Um, and, and I'd kind of like while I was riding it uh, or we'd walk the course after each day, like kind of look to where like the lower places to take off the lip to stay lower and get a good pump. And you sort of remember like which ones you want to try to go long. Like some of them you had to pull a little bit to get to the best spot on the landing. Um, so you kind of get better and better at it and refine it each, each time you sprint through there in the race, but it's, it's pretty physical as well. And you only have so much pop. Um, so you don't want to waste that when you're not racing. Yeah. So even, even if you're a super strong peddler, there was a lot more to it than just being strong on the pedals, right? It was kind of hard to tell from the TV, but it sounds like there was a lot of kind of technicality to it, I guess, like you say, to get on the right place with downsides and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, there is, and there is like for the guys that are strong, that are top 20 in the world cup, like they can all do that stuff. So there's not so much to separate. It's really like at that point down to the stronger guy. But if you were just taking like somebody who could do a road sprint, it's a lot more technical than that for sure. There's, um, there's little spots where even in like the section by the wall in the beginning where, if you could get a little pump, there was two, there was two small downsides that you wanted to get on the, 
the right momentum going there. And, and if you just sprinted through it without weighting your, your bike correctly, you would definitely not go as fast. So it wasn't just about like chopping wood the whole time. You had to pedal really hard in the key spot, be on the, the line that was like kind of hard packed. Like if you were off to the left or right a little bit, it was gravelly or soft. And then, um, keeping the bike low, but still getting good backside through all those jumps. So, yeah, I mean, not a whole lot in it for the best guys, but you see how tight the racing is. Um, and maybe it means a few spots if you can do it well. What was, um, Loic up to with the little, was he just <laughs> cranking his compression? Um, I think, there was some form of a lockout that he had and I don't know a ton about it as to why he didn't have it on his bar. Um, but it was pretty much a a lockout. So it would close compression and maybe slow down the rebound a little bit so that he could get more of a platform to sprint and more of a platform to pump when he was landing those jumps. What do you think about that? Um, I think it definitely didn't hurt in, in that section. If you can in the, in there, if you can get the bike to not bob as much when you're pedaling and, and sit up higher and kind of the energy that you put into the bike, pumping those landings be transferred to the ground and pushing forward rather than lost in the suspension. It's, it's gotta help a little bit. Um, I've tried that stuff, tested it and, in, in um, like a few years ago when we were racing in Cairns, I had a setup that I was going back and forth on and Fox had a bar mounted lockout for the shock. And it, while it felt good, it felt like a solid platform time wise. I didn't notice a huge difference with it open or closed. So I don't know. There's, there's something in it too, though when you feel like you've got a trick up your sleeve, it kind of gives you a little bit more motivation, gives you like a little bit of confidence Mm -hmm. and something Mm -hmm. positive. So, um, I I know those guys, they thrive on that sort of thing. So over at specialized (laughs) team. I was thinking about how, um, like what tracks you could, especially without the bar mount where I was like, you know, where would you do it at at Fort William? Maybe like, coming out of the woods before the tabletop the last time or yeah, like you were saying cans or, um, or something like that where you have to, especially if you don't have a bar mount where it has to be like, once you're locked out, you're locked out and there's uh you're not going back. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't look the easiest thing to change as well. It was weird though. Cause it was like, it was near his fork bumper sort of like where that would, that would go on your frame. Mm. So it was not like he was doing a, a lever on the shock. So it still was like not on the shock, but why was it there and not on his bar? Um, it, oh, might do you have think been, it did the, the shock as well. Well, he's got a button on his handlebar, hasn't he? That goes to that little carbon box over the top end of the shock that they haven't told anyone what that does. Uh, but I'm assuming that's a similar kind of thing. I, I can't understand why you couldn't connect the button, the same button to both ends really would have been a lot less sketchy. It's quite a risk taking your hand off there and you're missing <laughs> either tuck or pedaling, aren't you? you? You kind of, you're not doing either. 
I, I think that situation that he did it was like ideal because that road you carried a lot of speed into and then you had a sketchy section after where if you sprinted it it wasn't really gonna like help you because you had to break in the next section so that was like a perfect place to be able to take your hand off and do something like that i like you say i can't imagine where on any other world cup track you would do that um but this situation worked out well yeah i don't know why it would be not connected or whatever, as you say. It's, I mean, we can only speculate. Those guys will never tell us. But it's pretty cool, and it's <laughs> really cool that it worked out to win the race for him as well. Great. Well, maybe know. next year with a bit of off-season, they'll have time to rig it all up to the same button. Maybe it was purely down to getting it all ready in time. I don't know. It's interesting, though. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk a bit about the first race then. So we'll, we'll hit the women's race first. And... Uh, I mean, that was Miriam back on, on real form, hey, Elliot? Like three, over three, well, no, four seconds into Marine at that point. And Marine's not exactly uh, hanging about these days, is she? So it was that was a hell of a run. Yeah, it was. I, I feel like she really does well when she can ride aggressively. I feel like over the last couple of years, she's gotten like, you know, more and more aggressive. Um kind of i felt like saw it a bit at, at leo gang at the top where um she was just like able to kind of like slap the turns and like go and whatever um but yeah it's it's cool i i mean i i love watching her ride and i was you know to keep that to keep that going like her and, and marine especially i've just been on another level and i think nina as well it's kind of uh really really kind of finding that form that she had last year. I remember mm-hmm. Leo gang, her run at Leo gang. I was just like, Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's good to see. I mean, I think of the, you know, the women's, especially that first race, you know, the women's was, um, was really tight, like fourth to what seventh was only two seconds. And then even back to ninth was only six seconds, um, from, from fourth to, to ninth. So it's, uh, it's cool to see the women's kind of tightening up and, and it getting really competitive. Yeah, definitely. Where did you think the overall was going then? Cause it was, uh, it was a pretty, uh, pretty strongly fought battle that one. Yeah, I know it's Marine is one of those riders who, when she's on, she's on like, I'm wondering where this is going to go because there was so much talk last year around, you know, all the top girls weren't there and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then now, especially this year, you know, you do have Tawny and, and Miriam like coming back from injury, but it's, uh, when, when Miriam like puts in, or I mean, sorry, when Marine puts in a good run, uh, she's like head and shoulders above everyone. It seems like, um, kind of saw that at Maribor and I think in one of the qualifiers and then, you know, kind of, uh, the second race as well um mm. at Lisa. so yeah I'm, I'm really interested to see what plays out next year definitely and it was good to see tani back up there in third place i think she's been quite openly saying she struggled to to kind of get on the pace this year and it it just shows i guess it does take a lot to come back from a bad injury eh yeah for sure and i and i really i mean different riders do it different ways you know like i think she it's really cool that she's 
able to be kind of that open and honest about it where she's not a writer like Brooke, where if you asked him, um, <laughs> I mean, not many people like Brooke, but, uh, <laughs> if you, you know, asking Brooke about like, you know, are you scared to come back? Are you, you know, nervous or whatever? He's like, nope, nope. I'm going out and I'm like excited and I'm, you know, doing this and he's riding like at a hundred percent the whole time. Whereas Tani would, would definitely be more of the person who's like, okay, let me take it slow. Let me make sure that I'm comfortable. I think for her, she's, she's kind of like a confidence rider. So she's, whether or not she has a skill at that certain point, um, if she has the confidence, then she'll ride well. And if she doesn't have the confidence, um, she's going to kind of take it easy. So, I, I mean, I think it's, I think it's good. I think that's why she's, you know, has been and will be able to have like a, a long career. Yeah. And we're quite deep into the year, really. Like we're, we're in off season territory, really, like while the racing's happening and it's not, although it turned out to be quite an exciting sort of little overall series, I'm guessing people didn't go into it really feeling that motivated necessarily for the overall title. So I guess maybe there's a little bit of people that, uh, I don't know, they don't want to get hurt now, right? Because that's going to potentially write off a good part of 2021, which will hopefully be a more normal season for racing. Do you think that goes on in some people's heads? I, I think you probably had to come into it with two, one of two mentalities where you have that sort of thing where it's like, you know what, 2020 sucks. I'm just going to make it through the year. Um, like, cruise it and go to 2021. Um, and the other side of that is like, if I was training the whole year, uh, like I'm sure a lot of people were, then it would have almost been the opposite to where I would have said, like, I only have four races, like I'm going to go wild, you know, like, <laughs> and, you know, I'm going to make the best of it. And I think, you know, I don't know, but I, I mean, maybe that was part of why you saw like people like Benoit Coulange, um, come out and, and really do, do things that they, we wouldn't normally expect them to do. Um, same with like, yeah. Amina Hoffman where it's like, I, you know, there is definitely a spectrum, but I think that those probably were some of the mentalities you would have seen. And, um, the people who really could keep motivation to train like a double off season, um, and keep that kind of fire, keep the, the fun going, um, keep a good mindset and then come into the races and say, uh, I'm definitely gonna go for it. And I think once you probably got into the races, um, you know, personally, I think thinking about the overall before the race season started would have been like, ah, oh, it's four races. I don't even know if it's happening. Right. Like, I don't even know if loose is going to happen, but once you start racing, getting points, it's like you really would start thinking about the overall, especially at the last couple of races, you know, you saw how much it meant for them and, you know, like yeah. that Walker and stuff like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how about you, Nico? Did your, did your sort of mindset change at all over the season once you got stuck into the racing? Like how did you feel kind of coming into it versus finishing it up? Yeah. I think Elliot said it spot on where, we didn't even know if there was going to be an overall, if Lausa was going to happen. Even while we were at Maribor, it was unclear whether we were going to have that second race. 
um, the week of the World Cup, and I guess those two days between Worlds and Maribor is when they decided that there would be an overall if they had all four races. So it, it wasn't something that we were like training for, planning on coming in. Um, but then, but then like once we were into it, just like you said, like you, you kind of wanted to try to get, maximize it, take the opportunity and get as many points as you could. So, um, yeah, one, I mean, once the racing starts, you, you definitely want to be there, but it's, uh, you could see some guys were, were super prepared coming in and, um, there was definitely another, another group of the people who were unsure if it was going to happen. Um, trying to be as ready as they could, but, um, with how the whole season's gone, it was, it was hard to count on that and, and train for it as to peak for it from, from, from earlier this year. So yeah, it was a weird one. Yeah. A very weird one. Yeah. Talk us through your, your first race run then. How did that go from your perspective? Uh, the first race went pretty smooth. I'm I'm trying to remember them all because it's funny. I, there, there was <laughs> four, four timed runs and I was, and they all feel very similar. Um, yeah, yeah. The first one though was pretty good. Um, a few small mistakes in, in that technical section kind of in the middle, but, um, yeah, all in all a good race. It, it was back to tight times, as you could see from the second race in Maribor yeah. and then both races in Laos. So when the conditions were good and, guys were able to push um times were tight again so uh yeah i think i ended up 30th in that race and i was like super close to the top 20 which is where i wanted to be and um yeah all the times were super stuck super tight and stacked up in there but uh yeah it was a good thought it was a good run yeah well it's, and it was good to see your buddy dakota keeping his peak on this weekend and uh, and sticking it on the box for fifth he must have been happy <laughs> Yeah, that's funny, man. There's a, a lot of jokes going on about him losing the peak of a couple of couple runs in a row doing it. But uh, yeah, he, he was he was stoked on the the podium for sure. It's like um, sometimes yeah, a lot of things got to line up for that to to all come together, and a lot of hard work goes into it. And um, I know he's in a spot right now where he's trying to work out his program for next year. Um, I think his his team kind of lost their funding and, and him being an American rider. I don't, I don't think that there was a spot for him on the team he, that he was riding for this year. So he's trying to, trying to find something for next year, but it's crazy. Like even having a podium at, at one of the last races in the season, when the year your contracts up, it being so late, a lot of stuff's already locked up and he's having trouble to, to find himself a good spot. So Hopefully this helps him and hopefully um, maybe people find room now that he's uh, put it on the podium. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. I guess I understand people kind of going all out looking for results if they're if they're looking for a team for next year. But yeah, I'd, I'd forgotten how late we are in the year. So a lot, a lot of doors are already closed, I suppose. That makes life tricky. Yeah, I think a lot of teams too are, are kind of like trying to extend and do, extend what they had planned for this year into next year. So if it was somebody that had a, a deal for 2020, they kind of were like, Hey, let's just do the same thing in 21 since we didn't really get to do it this year. So there's a, a little bit of that going on and um, maybe not as many spots available that you'd want to have that on teams that you'd want to ride for. Okay. Do you think there'll be less spots 
in total kind of thing like with a i guess at some point a big recession coming our way are teams tightening their belts from what you've seen or is it hard to say it's hard to say i think at least from this year the out- outdoor industries have done well um most bike companies have have done well this summer with people having maybe more time at home more time to to ride and do things like that so uh, i think bike sales have been good um so i think they have the money to go racing. Um, but hopefully that continues to be the trend, um, going into next year. Um, on the flip side, we didn't race all year and they sold all the bikes. So maybe they're looking at it (laughs) from a different perspective, but hopefully they, uh, I was, uh, Oh, I was just going to say that like what the second point that Nico made, like some of the people that I've talked to, it's kind of exactly that where it's like, okay, um, we have all this money is racing the thing that we should be investing in. Um, where it's like, maybe we take some of that money and we put it somewhere else. Um, I think there was also kind of a thing where a, a lot of people, there was a, there was like a big, um, it's very apparent like whose value came just from racing and whose value was more holistic where you had, you know, like some people literally like drop off the face of the earth, you know, like you didn't hear anything about them, didn't see any videos, didn't really see anything. And it was kind of like, Oh man, like we're paying this, this person to go out and get race results. But like beyond that, um, you know, what are they, what are they kind of doing for us? Mm-hmm. Um, so does it make sense to, you know, like Nico said, I've, I've definitely heard that as well, where it's like, let's just continue the 2020 contract into 2021. But there's also kind of the, um, you know, do we, do we reinvest in racing as, as heavily kind of like he was saying with the, uh, with that Da Vinci team. Yeah. It'd be a shame to see, good races not getting spots like there's been a few examples of that certainly in ews this year so hopefully that doesn't doesn't carry over but yeah we shall see i guess and and nico uh your teammate mr Gwyn, he must have been pretty happy like it's been a a long way back towards the top for him i guess and a lot of people have have doubted whether he'll get there again but fourth place must have felt pretty good to him yeah for sure i i mean I think he was excited about it and happy that he, he was cl- I mean, this race and Maribor, the, the second race, he was, I think within two seconds of the win. So he was, uh, maybe not in the second race, the Portugal one, but in Maribor, I know he was like 1.8 off of first place and he finished sixth there. So that plus this fourth place finish, I think it was two really good results for him. And it's hard for a guy who's won 20 world cups to be super stoked about getting fourth place. But I think he's he saw the positivity there, and uh, after that, I could I could feel it from him that um, that he was he he believed that he could win again, and not that he lost that, but he was just kind of frustrated with some things not lining up the way that he wanted to in his in his race runs, and then um, just feeling like we were we, we could improve on some some areas of our program, so. Um, sometimes that's tough when we're like talking about like, oh man, we, these guys are doing this. We could make those changes, but we got a race tomorrow. So 
to put that, yeah. put that out of your mind and then go race. And then I think it just felt good that he like, he knew that we could do a little better with, with some things next year, but then get on the podium and be that close to winning. He's like, man, we're, we're still right there. So he was, he was pretty happy with that. Yeah. It just shows it's really hard to just switch performance back on, isn't it? It's a, you need to build, you need that confidence to come kind of over time, I suppose. Things that things don't all click overnight. Yeah. I, it doesn't, you need, you kind of need to, um, I don't know, like you need to be in that groove and, and like you could make an improvement, but you almost have to, to ride fast with that change for a little bit to, to get used to, like you could be on the best setup, but, um, it takes a little bit of getting used to again. So I think that, yeah, by the, it was a lot of riders said it too. Like by the end of these four races, we were finally in the groove again. Like we would be after doing preseason races and then the season was over. So it was, <laughs> it was kind of weird to, yeah, we, it would be, it was like be awesome to have a couple more now that we were getting going. But, um, yeah, the next season won't be far away. But yeah, as you said, it is it is difficult to yeah, switch yeah. that on. And I think another thing too is like watching the races, you're like, man, where's the dude at? He's been in like sixth place or 12th place or whatever, but he's like two seconds away from the winner over a four minute track. So you think about that. The guy's like, you can, you can see him a hundred meters ahead when he's crossing the finish line or less than that, like maybe 20 or, or 30 meters ahead, depending on the track, how fast it is. Um, so you're, you're like really not that far away from each other, you know, even though it looks like yeah. the results. Are yeah, 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 yeah. Very true. Let's talk about some of the other, the other performances. I mean, Jamie Edmondson, I guess, showed his hand a little bit there and snuck it into 10th place. Isn't it an exciting young rider to watch, eh, Elliot? Man. Yeah, that was actually insane. Um, I'm. I have seen him around for a while now, and he was uh, he was definitely a promising junior, but uh, he really like just turned it on, which is just uh, which is awesome. I think there there is kind of like a definitely with that second one got a little bit lucky with the rain, I guess, but um, I think it's it's really cool that he was able to almost back up the second one with the first one kind of thing yeah yeah, uh, yeah which is which is super cool um so yeah that's 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 definitely amazing to to see and and like nico was saying there is uh you, you see these guys like troy and in, in ninth and um you know and people like that and you're like what's going on but when you look ahead of them it's uh everyone is fast, you know, especially Tebow, <laughs> Tebow DiPrella, like he's just had an insane first year as <laughs> yeah. elite. I, I don't think I've, I can't remember anyone who's had that good of a year um, in his first year elite. Like speaking of like um, just consistency, like, you know, it's not like he's going out and crashing all the time. It's just amazing to see. And it, and I think the jump as well in, he wasn't one of those juniors. Like he had a couple of races where he was up there um, in terms of like junior time to elite time, but not 
anything like this. It wasn't like a Troy or a Loic when they were in juniors and getting podiums in elite. Um, for him to come, you know, from getting like 15ths or so, like time wise, um, to getting podiums and, you know, top tens and sixth places, like that's just, uh, that's just crazy. Yeah, it's insane. And it's definitely not been a flash in the pan, has it? He's been really consistent as well. Yeah. Yeah. Which is unusual. First year out of junior, like uh, quite a lot of the time, these guys are still in that crashing their brains out sort of phase and kind of working out the, where the pace is and, and how to control it. But he's been, I mean, he's either got very lucky or he's been pretty consistent. Yeah. He, he seems like one of those riders that's just really, uh, really deliberate. Um, and I think it's, it means a lot to be on that team with, you know, Remy and, and, um, and everyone there with all the experience and it, they have such a good culture there. I think that's one of the things as well, where it's, you know, of course I don't, I'm not hearing the internal conversations, but allowing people to really do what they want and ride the way that they want, right? Like it doesn't feel like there's pressure to say like, okay, Tebow, you need to go out and win these races. It's kind of, it's kind of more of a, uh, you know, go out, learn some stuff, come back, talk to Remy, you know, talk to, um, to, you know, the Perion crew and, uh, and then go from there. Yeah. Yeah. Max Commensal seems to do a pretty good job of putting teams together, doesn't he? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Like from, from all the times that I've talked to them, um, him and Yannick and, and those guys, like, it's just good, right? Like they want to win so bad, but it's just like, they go to the races and they have fun. You know, I like go, I, it, I always end up last year. I always ended up with Max and Yannick there, like at the, at the finish, because it was so much fun. Like they're so passionate about racing and about, um, just going fast and, and pushing the limit and stuff like that. So it's just like a, really fun environment to be around and uh really like passionate crew yeah it's working and then someone who, who didn't have such a great weekend unfortunately loris vergier coming down with a front flat after qualifying at the top there and we saw quite a lot of flat tires this weekend for the first time in what feels like a while at a world cup nico have you got any insight into why from your experience on the track yeah there was a few spots where there was some pretty sharp bedrock in the ground and i think there was one place in particular that a lot of these flat tires were coming from it was a kind of a blind rise like a blind fly off jump at the top it was um right after they come across the bridge you could see on the broadcast they hit those two little tabletops and then they kind of flew off a blind rise out of camera and the landing of that jump was a pretty high speed long straightaway into a left turn and right where you land was on some bedrock that had like these sharp kind of fingers in it that would break off. And, um, and then going into the turn too, is like a breaking, it was steep enough. You had to break into the turn and the whole way in was just getting chewed up and had some sharp bedrock in it. So I think that's where a lot of them came from. It was tough to kind of jump cause you're, you're sprinting to that blind ride as hard as you could and flying off the end probably. 30 or 40 feet and if you look, landed an inch or two to the wrong side you could have been landing on a, a sharp rock so it's, it's kind of hard to line that one up i think that's where i know that's where Lars flatted i think that's where a few of the other ones come from too. 
Yeah, it's it's strange. We used to see so much of it and uh, kind of got used to not seeing so much these days. But yeah, it's the first time in a while. But that, yeah, it makes sense, I guess. And then Matt Walker, what can we say? I mean, this guy steadily worked his way up through, I think, fourth, third, and then took second in the first race. It was fastest at the top three splits and lost a little bit of time to Greg on the pedal at the bottom. This guy's got a bright future, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, what did you think about that, Nico? About Matt Walker? Yeah, like, what's he up to? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, he's pretty. He, he's pretty quiet kid. Like, he's not. Um, he, he's just kind of like a get the job done racer kind of guy, um, and he's young too. Uh, I, I watched a video with him earlier this year, and he he said that with the quarantine and everything, he was kind of excited at the opportunity to just keep training and keep getting stronger and not having to worry about a race weekend that he needed to recover for and kind of get in the way of, of his training. So I think he just got super strong, um, through the whole, the whole year, the way it planned, paid the way it, um, played out. And then, um, when it came to racing, he, he was confident. He, he obviously had a bunch of good results last year, top 10 and stuff and was close and then just capitalized on that. And, um, I think the Madison Saracen team is a really good race team and um, his manager, Will Longden, is, is really good and um, good racer himself and has a lot of experience. And they, those guys, their focus is to win races. And, um, they, you know, as, as a lot of these top teams are, but um, they're really like not as much caring about the media and the image and all that. Like you could tell the guys that, they're like, I could care less. I just want to race. I want to race fast and I want to win. And I think that's their mindset and um, it paid off for him. It's cool to see. Yeah, it definitely is. I'm looking forward to seeing how he gets on next season when we when we hopefully get a full season on the go. But we can't we can't not talk about Mr. Minar. I mean, Elliot, 80 podiums, 22 wins. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> yeah, that was uh, just just, it's just too good. I um I think he's been close uh, a couple times over the last year or two cuz when is his last when was his last win um 2017 or something right lens a hide maybe yeah it's been yeah. a while so it's like which is crazy because he um he's been close he's gotten some seconds like some thirds and uh I was having a conversation with him a while ago and we were talking about like stats and stuff like that. And he's like, I was like, yeah, like really for, for the overall, like it's really about who wins more so because the point structure. And he was like, yeah, I'm good at getting podiums. I'm, I'm not as good at winning, <laughs> which is I mean, funny to say since he's the most winning rider ever, but, um, <laughs> but it is, it's, it's true. Like he's always like right there. And so, yeah, for him to get this is just like, just, I think every single downhill mountain bike fan, even just everything was just like, yes. So good. So good. And he made, I mean, he's, he's had some changes this season, right? He's gone from being with Marshy, who he's had as his mechanic for a long time. He's got a new mechanic, Lara Hislop this year. Can a simple change like that kind of disrupt things? It's, there's a risk to that, I guess, yeah? Yeah, I think so. Greg's probably one of the most mentally tough people I've ever met, where he um, 
he i feel like he just has this mindset of just i i just have to do it um no matter what happens i have to give it everything i have there's no excuses there's no anything um i remember when we were talking on on the podcast and everyone talks about him being puzzler and things like that and he was like you know i'm really just like trying to cross off everything that that could go wrong so that i can like have confidence and i can come into the uh come into the race like knowing that i have you know the best setup the best lines and things like that and he's like you know maybe it's maybe that's a little backwards to like cross off everything that's wrong to get to something that's right but i th- i feel like that's kind of how he he approaches it to where you know i'll talk to him and he's like yeah i'm i'm feeling like really good like i've been training and I think that preparation um, does a lot for him where in terms of in terms of the confidence, right? Like he goes out and he trains like super, super hard. And we know that because he crushes it and he wins and he pedals hard and things like that. But um, I think there is uh, something to be said about just like that mental toughness to be um, in a year like this as well, that somebody like Greg would come out and do well, where it is a kind of a year of mental toughness to me. Yeah. Yeah. It made sense that he was going to go well, definitely. And he, you know, not to be out puzzled, there was a bit of puzzling going on. I think he ended up running a shorter rear end to get (laughs) a bit more pump from the bike on some of the downsides, lower stack, I think, and some suspension changes as well. So he's still managing to find stuff to puzzle over. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. Incredible. You can't, yeah. You, and you can't put more wins. You can't say he's not going to get more wins. Like it's just feels like there's no reason to doubt him at this point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I saw one amazing stat that he's got the 22 wins, but he's got 37 second places. And think of how many of those were like the Sunday race where he was less than, he was a 10th of a second off of the win. It's like, crazy how close he was so many times it's almost um, yeah makes those 22 wins more impressive with that fair play well let's let's move on to race two and nico tell us a little bit about what the changes to the track were like for this was, was there much difference yeah so it wasn't as much of change as they did in maribor but they did do a few few key things that um that made it ride a lot different they, I think they did a couple of things that they weren't planning to do in the beginning of the week either. Um, in the top section, there was like a berm that was about to blow out. That was in a pretty high speed section. In the first race, we were like, man, I hope that thing's still there in my race. I'm like, I can't check up and look at it, but I'm going to hit it. And if it's gone, it's going to be gone for everybody. So I don't <laughs> think they were planning on changing that turn, but they ended up rerouting it so that we kind of just insided there and and it, it worked out really well um so that was cool that they could like look at where the track was breaking down and, and change it in a way that that kind of suited the how the course was developing and then they they had a couple in the in the mid sections almost like that valley that we kept going in and out of that they they changed it up a few spots and and that was cool um there was one towards the bottom the, the lower change that they ended up routing it through a, a mud puddle, which most of the riders were not very happy about. The only place <laughs> in the track that you get dirty, which kind of did seem a little bit unnecessary. Like could have routed it somewhere 
else than through that mud puddle. But at the end of the day, we're like, we can't kind of sound like a princess when you complain about something like that. So it was cool that they <laughs> they did those changes, and um, I, I found it interesting to do these two races where they changed the course. Like it was almost hard to remember. Like I think one or two riders said that they like got to the first one and the first change section and forgot which way it went and break to go the first way. And then they're Oh no, it's the second way for the first qualifying. So it was kind of weird to, to ride it like that, but, um, it for sure kept it interesting. And I, I had trouble like getting up to speed on it so quick for the first qualifying after, or, or sorry, the second qualifying the first time run after the change. Um, yeah, it was just kind of like coming in there, not knowing how hard to push in that section. Um, doing like only a two hour practice on it before you raced on it. So, um, I don't know. It was cool though. And it was the same for everybody. Everybody had the same circumstance to work under. So I, uh, I thought it was pretty cool that they managed to change the track as much as they did. Yeah, definitely. It keeps things, uh, keeps things fresh for sure. We'll, we'll talk about the women's race first and Miriam this time around didn't have quite such a good run in. So she had a pretty bad, crashing qualifying i think which left her with a with a bloody nose amongst other things how hard is it to get past something like that elliot and then put it all on the line again the next day yeah totally i um again i think that there's like the two mentalities where it's like okay i need to kind of back it off and um or there's kind of like the like cool like found the limit had my crash like gonna cruise on i remember when i when i first uh started racing world cups i would be super nervous if i didn't have a crash in uh in practice um (laughs) because it was and it wasn't like most of my crashes weren't that big but i always felt good about it where i was like i'm pushing the limit i'm i'm going for it like i got my crash out of the way and and whatever um and you know back to that double header thing you do have to do something um because at the end of a world cup race weekend you're literally going as fast as you will ever go on a track and now you have another race where you have to find some more time so um yeah i think that that's kind of an interesting one one of the questions i wanted to ask you nico was like what was up with the first split where like for you in particular, like you got 11th in qualifying and then you won it in the race. Was that like, what made it so good for you? <laughs> well, it was, if, if you look at the times, everybody's stacked on top of each other, probably within a second. So it's, it's a pretty tight split. And I think I just hit it pretty well in both of those runs. And then um, my race run, I hit it super well. And then it rained a little bit, like slight misting for the guys. So I think I kind of got a little lucky there. It would have been cool to see what it would have been um, without that rain. I bet it would have been top top ten split. And um, yeah, I think I think whenever you have like a first split that's that short, you have um, it's kind of like the one at Fort Bill, where it's a minute sprint and everybody's pretty close to each other. 
Oh, I think I think you're doing yourself a disservice, mate. That was uh, was a pretty <laughs> impressive. You, I think you were still like point three up on the next closest rider, who was Phil Atwell. I think I, I, I had a quick flick through the times, but you were also in a top five split at the second uh, checkpoint as well. Yeah, um, for sure. I'm stoked on it. It was cool to see um, that I had good pace going. Um, I kind of like I was saying in the in the last review that we did. I've kind of been struggling to get up to speed after this neck surgery that I had. Um, I had my neck fused in August, so it was kind of tough to be ready for the pace that these boys were pushing now. And I feel like I've kind of built up to it a bit through the races. And um, each one have kind of been like, I look at top 20 as a good goal to get inside. And um, each race, I was like two seconds off of my goal. And I'd kind of know where I was at when I was warming up and stuff and be like, all right, you just got to find like that little bit will be those positions. And, um, for that last race, I was like, well, I've ridden super consistently for these worlds and these three world cups. Um, now let's just open it up a little bit and I think you'll be happy taking the little extra risk. So I think that's that, that helped me to get, get those good splits. But as I said, I'm not going to claim first split super, hard because it did start <laughs> raining a little bit after that and uh yeah i think that affected it for sure fair play but yeah you had a it looked like you hit that tree with a reasonable amount of force how how did that feel for you yeah i i uh i was kind of disappointed to i had a good opportunity with um having those being on a good run having those first two splits that were that were pretty fast and then um the track was probably as good as it was going to be for my run. I think it started raining maybe 20 minutes later. So, um, I had a good shot at it. And then, yeah, that last one, it was kind of weird. You kind of, it's steeper than it looks on TV always is, but, uh, breaking into that section and it's a left turn around that tree stump. And I, for some reason I blew my right foot out. Um, it's just a, a rough, hard braking. So it kind of threw me off balance and then I was aimed for the tree and, um, managed to stay on the bike, but I, I just lost too much time there. And, um, more than that, I didn't get going quick enough either. Like the next sort of 10 seconds of track, I, I didn't ride fast enough after making that mistake. So I was, yeah, cost me a little bit, but, um, other than that, I was on a good run and it was just nice to feel like I had some good pace to finish the season gives me a little yeah. bit of motivation going to the off season. Like if, if I had just cruised down to a rain affected 10th to 20th place run, it would have been, Oh yeah, great. But to, um, feel like I could say I had the fastest pace at the first split and second at the second split halfway through is like, cool. I've got some good speed and I think I can take that and use it to build on through this winter. Nice one. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Let's uh, let's roll back to the women's race. And Maureen had, I guess she knew, right? She had to she had to put it all together and and roll the dice a little bit if she wanted to get that overall. And it looked it looked like she did. What do you what do you think to her run, Elliot? Yeah, it was actually uh, it was crazy. I mean, and and it's crazy too that she had two experiences like that. I, um, one last year and one this year that came down to. Um, the last race and apparently she's just crazy good at handling pressure because she did the same thing last year whereas i remember in in snowshoe she um 
was doing that triple at the bottom of the hill. Uh, yeah. And it and it wasn't like, I don't even know if all the men were doing it. It was definitely like a, a jump that you kind of thought about. You weren't doing, you know, most people weren't doing first run and stuff like that. And she was doing that um, and just put together this insane run at, at Snowshoe to to take the win and, and make it happen there. And now she's done the same thing. And, you know, this year she ends up getting the overall. So, yeah, I mean, that's got to feel good. Uh, it's got to feel like redemption. It's one of those things where you have that sort of situation last year and there has to be something in the back of your mind that says like was that my only chance for an overall ever you know um even though you kind of would put it out of your head like that definitely comes up and for her to to get it again this year even though it is you know short season whatever but uh like nico was saying it's everyone's in the same situation and you know she was the best in 2020 we had four races and and she was the best one so yeah, like it was it was tight. She made a little bit of a mistake at that last at that last split. Um, but she pulled it off and then kind of the same with Nina where she was only 1.7 back um and just super excited about it, super happy and ends up third overall, which is insane. You have these kind of two, you know, Tani ends up seventh and then Tracy, which is another one where she is going to retire after this year, um, which is, I'm so glad that she got the overall last year. <laughs> I think that's like, yeah, to be able to, to go out on top, you know, um, and to, to have that under your belt to, you know, win races. And, you know, I saw on her Instagram, she ended up crashing in the last race, but she was like, I, I wanted to put it all out there and, she was right up there in, in the mix before she crashed. But yeah, it's just, it's cool to see. I, I think that if there's any way to retire, it's like that, and, you know, win a World Cup overall. And um, what else do you, what else do you do? I think that that's one of the things that all athletes kind of have where once you, the goal has to, the goal as an athlete, I think is always shifting. Um mm-hmm you're like, I want to get a top 20 and then you get a top 20. It's like, yeah, cool. That's all right. But I really want to get a top 10. Um, and so when you have these athletes that are at the top and you're like, cool, I want to win a world cup and now I want to win a world cup overall. And then once you do that, uh, what is the goal after that? What do you say? I, I want to get a perfect season or I want to win another one. Um, the motivator of improvement and kind of, um, moving goals, I think has to change and it can't be the same for somebody like Greg um, than it as it is for somebody who's, you know, getting their first overall or something like that, where I think the, the process has to come into it a lot more. You have to really enjoy doing that work, being there competing. And of course you love winning, but um, I think that it, you know, it kind of has to shift and, um, I think for Tracy, it was kind of like, cool, like I, I got it. And, you know, she said, I'm just not really willing to do that anymore <laughs> to put myself out there and, and, uh, you know, risk everything like that. I think it's so fair, right? Like, <laughs> um, yeah. you have this like amazing career and then it's like, cool, did, uh, did the damage and, uh, I'm going to cruise on to something else. So 
um, it was kind of a great story to have Marine win and uh, it be Tracy's last season. Definitely, man. Yeah, it was good to see she uh, she left everything on the hill, including her peak, even uh, <laughs> even in the last race run, which was it was pretty cool. Yeah, no messing about. And the, the women's category is going to be wild next year. Hey, we've, we're going to have Rachel and Valley back. Marine and Miriam seem to be on form. Tani's clearly coming back well from that injury. Nina's showing that she can consistently be up there. We've got Veronica Whitman again coming back from injury and joining Madison Saracen. Like it's getting to be a pretty deep field now. Oh wow. I didn't I didn't know that she was on Saracen. That's that's really cool. Like I've been totally off the back on the old team rumors and not even <laughs> team rumors, team confirmed. But um I love that they're adding a woman. I, I feel like the women's category is kind of becoming it's it's getting way more exciting it's kind of like women's cross country where um like i only watch the women's cross country like i don't even watch the men's because like the women are like passing and like super aggressive the whole time and the men seem to just kind of spread out and and do do whatever um i think it's becoming a little bit more even now in downhill where you don't have maybe like a rachel just running away with everything uh because even like camille uh Balanche, current world champ um she's right up there you know like a couple of six places she's only a couple of seconds back you know right off the podium so like you're saying i think it's it's kind of and w- another thing that's really interesting actually that i just kind of thought about now is that like qualifying for women's races is like pretty gnarly um where you have uh you have like the top 10 that are that are really fast right like the top 10 can actually probably win a race like once every everyone gets back going so yeah um, yeah it's definitely definitely interesting i think it's uh i think it's really cool yeah it's going to be another good season i think well let's um let's move on to the men's nico we've heard about about your run Awesome, awesome to see you up there on pace and uh, and finishing the season on a on a, on a good position. But you know what a race! I mean, first off, Phil Atwell, incredible to see him back and uh, and back on a podium for the first time in a few years. And he, this guy's pretty wild on a bike, eh? Like I think he won Vital Raw on a couple of occasions over the weekend. <laughs> yeah, for sure. He's one guy in practice that's always doing gnarly lines and um, gapping stuff that that he's the first guy to do it. So uh, it's cool when he when he links a good run together because he, he could probably be the fastest through any one section at any time in the weekend. Um, but to, to put a whole run together like that and then you could see the time, it um, he's, he's really a fast rider, so it's cool. Yeah, and apparently the, so the Cube team had said they weren't going to the race, and uh, which meant they weren't on the email list. So apparently Phil didn't know when practice started on Saturday and actually missed half the practice session. So in the shortest the time ever to learn a track, he missed half of it and still ended up fifth, which is uh, it's pretty impressive, I think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sounds like something that Phil would do. Tom <laughs> <laughs> in, in, in the line for the for the for the shuttle and i was i said i thought i read that cube wasn't coming to the race and he said yeah no cube but i'm still here so he made it happen came out <laughs> <still wanted> to <laughs> race. 
Yeah, well, I guess it's a big shout out to uh, to the Ben Cathro privateer pits as well over the weekend because I think he was he put up Phil and uh, Jamie Edmondson and uh, and helped them out a bit and seems to have gone pretty well for both of them. So fair play to Cathro for that. And uh, yeah, Jamie Emerson at it again, sat on the hot seat for uh, a very long time for uh, a uh, slightly chilly day in Portugal. And like we said earlier, like there was there was some some weather disruption that came in kind of halfway through the men's with fog and some rain up top. What are your thoughts on that, Nika? Do you think it had much impact on what was going on? Like, was it is it just a small chunk of riders that were affected? Is it all of the top guys? Like how? Yeah, how much impact do you think that had? I think it definitely impacted everyone after it rained somewhat. But the the guys who had to ride while and, and we say rain, it was like misty air and um not really like a actual rain. It was just definitely got the ground a little bit slicker and added a, a layer of grease to the surface of the course. Um but the guys that had to to ride in it, you could see their goggles when they came across the finish were like beaded with water from from riding through the fog. So it was tough for probably those those guys that quali- that were like maybe twentieth um, to tenth from the from the last dude to go down. Um, I think it was tough because it was a little bit of vision, but also the course was running just as fast, but it was pretty hard packed after five days of riding it. Um, and, and then you add that little moisture to it and it's just become super slippery and greasy. Like, like it, like I described, it was in the mornings. It was kind of like that same thing, but, um, right in the middle of these guys trying to race. And I think it came around a little bit at the end, like at least the vision was better. And, um, I wouldn't say it dried out, but maybe it absorbed a little bit into the ground and wasn't quite as slick for the last 10 guys as it was for the 20th to 10 guys from the end. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely affected things. Oh, what was up with, um, that little, I, I, did you watch the replay? Uh, I just watched it from the TV at the bottom. Okay. There was there is a little sector um, that was maybe like I don't know twenty seconds in that like after it rained everyone was losing time on like over a second on was there something in like that first thirty seconds that really would have changed for people? Um, there, you mean. Uh, right around 30 seconds in or the whole first split there was like one little because like you know how red bull does the little sector things yeah Um, it was like the second or third one of those so i guess it was in the first you know 40 seconds i would assume yeah it just seemed like everyone is is, um from like so the first sections you could see out of the gate was like the sprint over some jumps and then it had um kind of an off-camber turn and then it got into these like I wouldn't call them bike park berms. They were actually perfectly designed for, for the race where they were like machine built berms that were super soft with like pretty much when you're building a trail, the opposite of what you do, like you put the loamy soft, like the worst dirt to compact in it. And then they just got rough, like a motocross track and had some like lines cut in that were getting hard packed on the insides. And, um, by the race time, this section, it was probably from like 30 seconds to the minute. So like 
maybe the second or third one of those Red Bull splits had there was some hard braking in there, and I bet that section was super slippery by the time those last couple guys went. So it just must have been tough for those dudes mm. to push because it was, um, like I said, rolling just as fast, but really greasy on the surface. That makes sense, yeah, because everyone was struggling for time there, weren't they, even if they were up in other spots. So it makes sense. Elliot, did you think anyone was going to beat Jamie Edmondson at that point then? I definitely win... Uh... It was, I feel like it's always like this. Like it never fails where, um, it's like, oh man, the dude's got it. It was like, same with Dean Lucas, uh, at Mount St. Anne that year when it rains, you, you have people that are just like, ah, yeah, it's, it's done. You know, he's, he's bloody got his first win. And then Troy came down and got close. And then, you know, you had Matt Walker come down and beat him. And I was like, okay, like fair enough. And I, I thought that maybe Matt Walker had taken it. Um, also surprising or not surprising that, um, cause I, I mean, he would have known, right. That somebody would have been at the top telling him that, um, that Loris had, you know, had a bad run, but then also that Tebow was right there. Uh, yeah. And then he kind of had to beat Tebow and Tebow would have been what in third. And then Troy came down and puts him in fourth. So he kind of has to go for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it was kind of an interesting one there where it's one of those things where you don't think it's possible. I remember um, being at, at Mount St. Anne and talking to a couple of people where it's like, oh, I, or like a race like that, where it's like you, you go up and you're like, ah, oh, it's that time is not going to be beaten. Um, and then somebody does it and you're like, okay, now I have to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And fair play, Matt. I mean, he looks like he really trusts the grip on that bike. Like he was pushing it really, really hard into stuff. Mm -hmm. And it, when, especially when you don't quite know what that little bit of rain or, or mist has done to the trail as well. So he's obviously, in a really good place with how he feels on the bike at the moment and enjoying his riding. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's definitely something to be said too. Like you, I think maybe like just pure speculation, like just watching it from my perspective, I think there's some riders who come, come up and they do well, but they do well because they were so aggressive. Um, uh -huh. and like took some risk and it paid off. And that sort of riding style is much different. And I think you kind of see that be a bit of a flash in the pan where riders will come up, they get a podium, and then the next week they're back in 10th or 20th, and then they go get a top 10 again. Um, and I feel like it's almost like this uh, bad feedback loop where it's like, okay, I took this risk and that's what I need to do. Where yeah. from the other side, you hear riders like Lori, who we know when he won he was like oh i i didn't think i could win a world cup riding that smooth like it mm -hmm. wasn't really that difficult in terms of like the, the amount of risk your whole career you're riding and you're like these guys i must just have to just go for it um and then when you do that and you have a run like laura and you feel like that it's it's much different so for matt walker when you watch him ride it's not crazy right like it's not 
flashy. It's it's just like really controlled and he does ride aggressive and does pump a lot. But like Nico was saying, he looks really strong. Um, and I think it's kind of allowed him to be consistent where he, um, he the feeling that he got winning those or getting those podiums and stuff like that was like the quote unquote correct feeling um and and didn't give him like some bad feedback that was like i just need to go wild um so it was kind of interesting to see from like the sidelines to say like cool here's somebody that i would personally like put my money on um to be like a top contender you know like more like a a troy or something like that um where you just have him consistently in the in the top 10 and on the podium all the time yeah 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 and so yeah he put half a second into jamie's time i think to take the hot seat but uh but not for too long and we've got greg and loic up the hill which is always going to spell trouble i mean greg's run that was super impressive eh? he put 1.4 seconds into matt i think which at that point looked like it wasn't even possible did did you think he might have it stitched up by then i i thought that he would i like when he did that run i didn't listen to any of the interviews or anything like that but um yeah i i thought that he had it um especially after he um was talking i listened to the interview after the first race and he was like you know i i felt like i rode a bit too smooth um, so I didn't know if I was going to have it, but I laid it all out there in the pedal and, you know, made it happen. So I feel like for sure he was thinking that, um, you know, he won the second sector, got second in the third sector, um, and then was right there, but it was, yeah, like I, I haven't talked to him, but I feel like he would have for sure thought that that was a winning run. Like you see his, so so, like heartbreaking. You see his face after Loic comes through the finish and it's just like, oh my Lord. Like, like it was like angry. Like you don't see him like angry a lot, but like even under the mask, you could just see him be like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Yeah. It's a shame the mask was there really, but you could read it through his eyes. Couldn't you? Apparently, he hit his head on the start gate, which knocked his helmet, which moved his goggles so he couldn't quite see properly. So down that first straight, I think he said he lost a couple of pedal strokes because he was having to sort of shake his head to try and get his goggles back in place. Wow. Which is like, I mean, 0.1 of a second, that's there, isn't it? You know, yeah. it's uh, it could yeah. easily have been that. He just needs to not be quite so tall next year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, it really could have been. Could have been in that. I, I, I know that feels like when you're racing and your goggles are off a little bit, it's like shake your helmet. It's it's just, a, it's hard to focus completely on like executing every mark on the track when, when that stuff's off. Um, but anyway, what I was going to say was uh, when Bruni come across the last split, 0.3, I think it was down, I thought for sure with seeing Greg's pedal and seeing knowing how strong he is through that stuff that he was Bruni was going to go back more than three seconds on that pedal. Um, not that, I mean, Bruni's consistently a strong dude and strong pedaling, but like Menar is just the best of that. So I, I really felt that it was going to be Greg's after seeing that split. And I'm sure Greg kind of thought that too, when he was sitting on the bottom, maybe why he was a little bit, um, bummed to see 
Bruni come across just a, a tenth up. What was the atmosphere down there like? Because obviously we're lacking crowds, but it seemed like there was a reasonable amount of people down in the finish arena. Yeah, well, I mean, for sure, all the riders, everybody who had raced that day is, is there watching this and all the staff, um, especially for the last couple of dudes. Um, and then some people who had snuck in to watch the race, which was which was pretty cool too. It was funny, the live announcer was like thanking the people that snuck in to watch because that was adding to the crowd. <laughs> but uh, it, no, it was cool. It was, it was definitely like while racing, not the same vibe as a normal race just you didn't hear chainsaws everything was quiet um pretty pretty mellow that way but the finish areas were all pretty good and um you know a lot of riders hanging out there made, made it made it cool to watch so it wasn't a whole lot different from my perspective yeah and and Loic, he really wanted that didn't he that seems to have seems to mean a lot to him that victory he's, he's kind of struggled a bit this year to get back into the bruni that we all know and love don't you think I don't know if he really struggled that much. I think like worlds was just a, ex, like an extreme circumstance where in the qualifying there, he was, he was second by less than a second. He was right there with, with Loris. And then the first Maribor race, he crashed. But outside of that, he was, um, what was he fourth, third, and then first. So his, his results were all pretty consistent. I think, Really, it was just that crash in the first Maribor race that set him back a bit. Yeah, he seemed, I mean, just from the coverage that I've seen, he seemed to be quite annoyed with himself. I get like, unless it's a first, I don't think Loic's happy, is he? So even though those results are amazing, it's not where he sees himself being. He's got a, he's got a real strong self-belief, I guess. Yeah, I mean, for sure he does. I mean, that's why he, he is the rider that he is and, and, uh, he, you know, he believes he's, he's super Bruni when he gets on the bike. And I think that helps him a lot. So, um, it must be <laughs> disappointing to, to just be that close and not be able to get the wins. So, um, yeah, I think, I think that, uh, obviously wants more, I think it was kind of weird for him too. Um, I don't, I don't know how stoked he was on having the whole overall. Um, I think he kind of thought that what he had to go through last year was a bit different than what they're going to give a trophy for this year. So I don't know if that affected things yeah. or not, but, um, yeah, I think for, like you could see for some riders, this, this whole thing was like, well, we got to do it. Like so many people want to see the cut. Co- and then think the coverage did really good thing for our sport. But a lot of riders were like, well, we got to do it for this. Like, we, we can't really complain that we haven't done anything all year and now we have to do this race. But at the same time, like, the vibe, it, it was tough out there. It was like, it was cold. It was raining at the mall. We were riding five days in a row. Um, things were different than they normally are with the changes of the track and like weird things with the schedule um, at, at all of the races. So some guys were on top of it and and motivated as we said and other guys were maybe not in the same frame of mind but regardless i mean i think yeah bruni was stoked to win that last race and maybe give him give him a little cherry on top for the going into the off season that he may not have been as stoked on if, if he hadn't been able to steal that 
one win for Marlborough. Yeah, definitely. And I guess, yeah, Lowick going into the off-season happy. Matt Walker's going to be pretty stoked with his work. And Greg, for sure, to show that he can still do it, has got to be pretty happy. I'm guessing that hopefully means we're going to see him back uh, next year. And if he can win next year, I think he'll have won in 20, across 20 years of World Cup racing. Wow. Amazing. Do you think that's? Do you think it's doable, Elliot? Do you think we'll see him back racing again? Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, he's uh, he's definitely back next year. Okay, more motivated than ever. Probably that's good to hear. Do you, will he ever retire? Why would you? Yeah, <laughs> I wonder. I think so. I had this. I actually had this conversation with him a couple of years ago, where um, I think it's all just a bonus. Um, where you know he's been doing it for so long you know he's got he's been really smart with everything he's got all of his you know ducks in a row back at home and so it's just like why not enjoy the time enjoy the time you're you're racing enjoy the time that you get to to spin you know being at the top level of something traveling doing what you love um and so I, I don't know what that trigger will be for him to stop racing, but I think it's, um, there's like so much pressure in one way, but then so little pressure in another way where if you, you know, if you said like, I have everything when I'm done racing, like I'm all good. <laughs> like I've done, I've done everything I wanted to do. Like I've, you know, been and achieved so much. Like I have stuff to go to, family to go to um, when I'm done racing. And so I'm just going to enjoy it and, and give it everything I have because it's, uh, it won't be, uh, it won't be forever. So I, I feel like that's kind of the way that he thinks about it. It's just like every year, it's just like a good time, <laughs> like a bonus, you know? So it's, uh, I think that's, that's definitely something I, I don't think a lot of the top guys feel that, um, or I guess I should say when you've been at the top that long, um, and especially if you do have those seasons and I'm sure it's been hard for him when he has had those seasons of like, quote unquote, bad, where he's, you know, not winning, he's in 10th or you know, I remember he got like a 20th one time. And, um, and so, yeah, I think that's a, it's a different mindset and, and he's, he's one of one, you know, he's, there's no one else that's going to be out there winning world cups at 39 or whatever. So I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't know any lessons you can actually take from, from what he's doing, but, um, I know that, I know that he enjoys it. So I think that's probably key. What's amazing to me is to think about the guys that he has battled with over the years. Like when he started out and he won his first overall, he had to beat Nico Vuyo to do that. And then as he went through, he, he battled with Petey and was winning an overall against Petey and then went through Sam Hill and then G and then the Gwyn era. And then now all these fast French kids. It's like amazing to think of all those dudes who have, had amazing careers in the sport and had their, their moments when they were the guy and Greg was always the guy that they were having to beat to get there for so long. It's kind of yeah, crazy. it is so true. 
Yeah, like I, I feel like there it's like one of the few times in sports where it's like, oh, what about like Kobe and Michael? And it's like, well, we actually have the Michael Jordan across all eras. And <laughs> he's still beating <laughs> these people. You know, even even thinking about like the amount of bike changes that he's gone through, like racing a, a Nico and what the bikes look like then of like, I don't know, ten inch wide handlebars and the wheelbase was like you know two feet long and now you know on 29ers and just so many different things different venues and and everything i think it's yeah like nico said that's it's actually amazing to think about um about having this person who's like the greatest of all time but like when you normally hear that you think of it is like, oh, they were great, you know? And it's like, no, this person's the greatest of all time because they've literally beat every single person in the sport. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But even Michael Jordan, that was like a six-year reign with Bulls. And this is 19 years now. Right, right. Unbelievable. Yeah, I hope he carries on. And uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing how old you can be and still win a World Cup. <laughs> it's quite, it's pretty inspiring stuff. A few other riders to chat about. Angel Suarez, Nico, your ex-teammate from uh, from the YT days. He's had a pretty good season, I think, for his best ever, finishing seventh in the overall. He's got, he's got to be pretty happy. Oh, absolutely. I think he was he was a little bit worried about whether he'd get top 10 or not, um, especially after the, the rains kind of started to come and he wasn't sure if the time would be good enough. But um, the dude ended up seventh, which is amazing. I think the added like the extended um, preseason really helped him. He had been dealing with like some injuries and stuff kind of through his whole career. And maybe in a similar way to Matt Walker, he just was able to use the time to get stronger and stronger and um, get back up to speed that he may not have been, he, he said in, uh, in April. So um, yeah, I think it helped him a lot and the dude's confidence and confident and he kind of always has been, um, it just lined up for him with the uh, being strong and not having any injuries or issues and get the results that he that he wants. So super, super happy for him. Yeah, it's been good to see. And a rider that's, I mean, it seems strange to say he struggled this year because he finished sixth in the overall, but for Troy Brosnan, that's a bad year. I mean, he's normally Mr. Consistent kind of, I don't think he'd finished outside the top three for five years, something like that. I might be a bit off for that, but... He's been mega consistent and uh, it just didn't quite work out for him this year. Any thoughts on why he's maybe struggled for like that outright pace just to get it into the top couple of places? I think if we had an eight race series like we normally do, he'd probably get back up there. Um, It's got to be tough to like to come from Australia um, to race in like cold wintry snowy conditions at at all these races like it it may be a bit different for him i mean the guy has experience he's raced in europe for the past 10 years so um he he looks super fast at worlds i think that race if he wouldn't have had that issue he'd have have given the top guys a run a run for it for sure i thought he he looked the most aggressive out of anyone um at that race and then yeah i'm not sure what it was i think the dude's just consistent but maybe with a shortened season these other guys some some of them maybe felt like they threw more at it than than they normally would and and Troy being as consistent as he is like 
these other dudes with not as much to lose were able to get through and be a little faster than him than um, he normally is consistently. So, yeah, I'm not not sure, but I think, like I said, if it was a full series, it could be it. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. That yeah, the shorter series is not gonna. It's not one of those ones where you can have a bit more of a slow burn and end up at the top, is it? You kind of got to be all in from the start, really. And and Danny Hart, I guess, is another rider that, I mean, he hasn't looked slow, but the results haven't quite been where we'd normally expect to see Danny. I think he finished nineteenth in the overall. Elliot, do you think that this team change has been playing on his mind? Maybe is that can that get to people? There's a lot, I guess, a lot of change that he knows is coming up. Yeah, I wonder. I feel like there's like this cyclical thing with Danny where it's like a, you know, he'll have two years on, two years off kind of thing. Um, but I do know he he just had a kid, got married. And um, so, yeah, again, I feel like for some of these veteran riders, I'm sure this season had to be hard. You know, one of the things that in downhill that I think is an advantage when you get older is having that just knowing exactly what to do in a world cup race weekend. Um, it's actually one of the more important things in racing world cups to say, how do I learn a track in four runs? What time do I need to wake up? What do I need to eat? You know, what is qualifying like? And so kind of, and even from a more macro scale, like what is the off season look like? And, then coming into these races, being able to travel, uh, like Nico was saying, and um, and then take some time off. So all of that kind of got thrown out the window. Um, and in terms of, I guess I guess it's like a, I don't know if preparation is the right word, but uh, just yeah, the process maybe. Um, put everyone on a bit more of a level playing field so yeah i'm not i'm not sure what was up with danny um i'm not sure if it was if it was that if it was kind of having the new family if it was just uh everyone going fast <laughs> um or or what yeah i'm guessing he might have spent a bit of time at some point fairly recently on a different bike um maybe giving it a shakedown or checking things before signing contracts or whatever so that Maybe that takes a bit of time away, a bit of focus, could be a bit of a distraction maybe. Did he sign with someone already? Uh, rumours are that he has, but I don't I don't know that for certain. Who, what are the rumours? The rumour is Cube. I thought that they're, I uh, shouldn't say that, but they're, I thought they <laughs> super good. Yeah, I don't know. They've got a new bike, haven't they? Uh, okay. They, they launched something a few weeks ago, I think. So maybe that's why. I think their bike is really good, actually, the new one. I haven't ridden it myself, but um, knowing what I know about bikes and looking at it, I think it's probably going to work pretty well. Okay. I didn't know that they made a new and bloody need to Google. Need to, need to be more up on the old pink bike. <laughs> You're out of the loop. <laughs> out of the loop. <laughs> For Danny, it's kind of be like weird motivation to have like this excitement around a new team and looking on to that and then going and doing this last job for the team you were on before. Um, so maybe just like that mental state is just a bit weird and 
I mean, these races, you, you have to really take risk and put yourself out there to ride that fast down these tracks. And if you're not really hundred percent, um, into it, it's hard to get into that mindset to be able to do it. So could, could be maybe something like that. I, I'd expect Danny to, to be back strong next year as his normal self. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, there's a, and there's a few riders moving teams in the off season and will therefore be on different bikes and different setups. Is it, is it hard to be quick straight out of the box when you've moved teams, Nico? I mean, I guess you can speak about that from firsthand experience. It's not hard to be quick, but it's hard to get good race results because there's things that you may not know until you race with a new whether it's the bike or the whole program, um, you learn something every time and it's hard to properly test all that stuff and, and be ready to race a world cup without having done one on that new equipment. So I think that's the, the tough part about it is just to be, be ready without going through a full race weekend. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's that time of, uh, of season. I'm sure we're going to see the rumours and the team announcements kicking off uh, over the next few weeks, which is always an exciting time for us race fans. And yeah, looking forward to next season. It's going to be, yeah, again, a massively stacked field in men's and the women's side. And uh, yeah, I can't, I can't wait to watch it. So until then, it's uh, it's been a massive pleasure having you guys back on board again for what's been a short but awesome little season. So Thank you on behalf of, of all the listeners who, who love hearing what you've got to say. So it's massively appreciated. Thanks for your time again. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, totally. It's been, uh, it's been a highlight as always. I love, uh, especially this year, I feel like I got to live vicariously through Nico a bit. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. I feel, I feel even more like a fan than I uh, have been in, in recent years. So. You'll be back at the races next year, Elliot? I think so. I, um, I, I, uh, I sent an email to Red Bull and I was like, yeah, sounds good. Like, hopefully see you guys next year. Wink. And they were like, yeah, <laughs> we'll like see, like make sure hopefully everything can happen again next year. So if, if, uh, if we can be over there and I can get over there without being banned from traveling, then, uh, I'll be there. <laughs> Nice one. Yeah, you've been missed. It would be good to have uh, have your little talky bits going back on again and chatting to the riders and stuff. It's uh, It was a good part of last season, so it would be good to have you back doing it. Yeah, and hopefully we can do some more of these in person. It'd be great. That that would be really nice, yeah. Yeah, we let's see what happens and uh, hopefully I can get to a few more races. <laughs> <laughs> it, would make, it would make life easier, wouldn't it? I don't think people realise quite how hard this is. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Hey, um, uh, one, well. one thing I wanted to throw out there quick um, before we get off is that um, I'm going to raffle off my race jerseys that I wore in each race this year and one of my custom painted helmets and give all the money to Elliot's Grow Cycling Foundation. So um, we should have that nice. up pretty soon, maybe even by the time this podcast goes out. Um, but uh, any of the listeners will share out that info. And if, um, if you guys like what we're doing and you've listened to Elliot's episode about grow cycling, um, I'm sure you'd be stoked to contribute to it. So um, keep an eye out for that and 
and all the help is appreciated. Nice one, Nico. Yeah, definitely. Let's have the details and we'll get that shared, man. Yeah, super, super cool. I like, yeah, I, I can't really like express how cool it is to have um, so many of like my friends and everyone doing this. I think it's just uh, one of those things that matter who you are, where you come from, what you look like. Uh, we all just love riding bikes and can kind of relate to uh, what it would mean to to have an opportunity to do that um, when we were growing up. I would, I know, I would have. Uh, I was. <laughs> I think we all were like building jumps in the parking lot so to like have a pump track uh, in the in our hometown would have been much nicer than building some little molehills. Definitely, man. Yeah, stacking up bricks and putting bits of wood on them, which is uh, our pastime for a while. <laughs> Having headaches when you come home because you jumped a flat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the one. <laughs> cool. Well, that's a super nice place to end. Yeah, we'll get the details out there for that. And uh, yeah, people can can enter and support a great cause. So yeah, thanks, guys. It's been really good fun. And um, yeah, if this season is anything to go by, I'm looking forward to a full season in 2021. All good. For sure. Us too. Sweet. Cheers, guys. See ya. All right. That's it for this episode with Elliot and Nico. I hope you've enjoyed listening and are as excited as I am for the 2021 season. A massive thanks to the Strength Factory and Privateer for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you want to get on Ben's complete MTB program, then as a downtime listener, you can save $20 on the eight-week foundation part of the program up until the 23rd of November. All you need to do is to head to thestrengthfactory.uk, navigate to the complete MTB program and use the code DOWNTIME, all lowercase, at the checkout. Also, if you can't get to the gym, then his bodyweight programming is available for a one-off cost of £16 at thestrengthfactory.uk forward slash bodyweight dash MTB. If you want to find out more about Privateer Bikes and see the 161 and 141, you can do that over at privateerbikes.com. Also, there's the Grow Cycling Foundation raffle coming up to win Nico's jerseys and custom-painted helmet from the World Cups this year. There'll be a link for that when it's available in the show notes over on downtimepodcast.com. If you fancy representing the show, you can grab yourself a t-shirt or one of our brand new sweatshirts or hoodies by heading over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. You know what to do by now? Keep on spreading the word about the podcast. There's no marketing budget here, so it's you lot that have got this to where it is. We've just found out we're in the top 0.5% of podcasts in the world, which is pretty mind-blowing, to be honest. I can't quite get my head around it. So thank you to everyone who's been listening and everyone who's been sharing and spreading the word. Please keep it up. All right, we've got another awesome episode coming up soon, but until then, get out and ride. <laughs>